Not every company wants to move to the public cloud. Some companies have already built data centers and can continue to operate their business with their own servers. Some companies have compliance issues with the public cloud and want to operate their own servers to avoid legal risk. Operating a data center is not easy. Operating systems need to be updated and security vulnerabilities need to be patched. Servers fail, and their workloads need to be automatically scheduled onto other servers to avoid downtime. In contrast to classic on-prem data center management, the cloud provides many benefits. Automatic updates, an infinite pool of resources, fully programmable infrastructure as code. In the cloud, developers can provision infrastructure with an API request. Continuous delivery pipelines can be spun up at the click of a button. This tooling makes it dramatically easier for developers to move quickly and for a business to move faster. Companies that operate their own data center want to be able to have these benefits of the cloud while still controlling their own infrastructure. Today's guest is Bob Frazier. He works at HPE on OneView, a tool for managing on-premise infrastructure like a cloud. Bob describes the difficulties of managing legacy on-prem infrastructure and the advantages of building a management layer on top of data center infrastructure to make it more programmable. We've done lots of shows recently about Kubernetes in the context of cloud computing. Today's show outlines how modern on-prem infrastructure can be managed like a cloud. Full disclosure, HPE is a sponsor of Software Engineering Daily. Bob Frazier, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thank you, thank you. Many of the shows we've done are about moving to the cloud, but not every business is able to move to the cloud. Why doesn't every engineering organization out there just move all of their infrastructure onto the cloud? Well, I think you're seeing a clear trend towards hybrid IT, where some of the workloads are in the cloud and some of the workloads are on-prem. And with Hewlett Packard Enterprise, you know, one of our missions is to make hybrid IT simple. My part of that at this company is to work with management software that really provides an excellent experience for running a private data center. So from my vantage point, I get to see a lot of why people are moving workloads where. And some of the reasons why they stay on-prem, there's a few. First is legacy or a need to integrate with legacy systems. So there's back-end stuff that's already inside the firewall, so it just makes sense for the service to be inside the firewall. Another common one is uh, security, and that could just be the operations of having the control. And a lot of times it's also around the data security. Companies may have some assets that they just don't want to have in the public cloud. And then, of course, there's always you know, regulatory aspects to that. There may be compliance issues, data locality issues. And then lastly, one that not everybody considers is cost, economics. It turns out we're seeing some workloads move back on-premise because the operating expense of it is actually lower. It's uh, easy to get up and running in the cloud, but then sometimes you get some sticker shock. So those are some of the reasons why we're seeing a healthy business both in the public cloud and on-premise. There are businesses that have data centers that are already built. There's actually a lot of those businesses. And for these kinds of companies, the cloud might look really appealing, but if you already have a data center, you probably want to keep your data center because you've already built it. It's like you've already built a house. You don't want to go rent an apartment if you own a house. So you probably want to keep it and take advantage of it. Does it ever make sense to just throw away your data center or are many people, are they looking at the hybrid cloud idea a lot of times because they have this, not exactly sunk cost, but an investment that they've already made in their data center? That would definitely be a part of it. And, you know, some of it is, you know, we're still seeing continued investment in, into on-premise data centers. So for some of the things we were talking about before, a lot of people do want to operate part of their business on-premise. We are seeing some really interesting hybrid use cases where people are running their, their business internally in a private data center and occasionally bursting to the cloud. So you're seeing a lot of real hybrid operation going like that. I don't really see the need for on-premise equipment really going away. I think there's enough operational and you know reasons to, to keep it going. I think what's happening, though, the trend is they want to not just have a bunch of servers with operating systems on it and some software. 
They really want to have a consumption model that's more like the cloud. They want the interface to the app developer to look similar whether you're on a public cloud or if you're on a private data center. Right. Much of much of the advantage of a cloud provider is not necessarily the fact that you are operating servers that are in a remote location and you have unlimited compute and you've got this wide buffet of options. A lot of it is a lot of the advantage is the procurement process. So if I'm a developer at a bank, for example, and I want to spin up an application to do something interesting, I want to write a data science application, or I just want to stand up some kind of internal application. If I'm working on a cloud provider, then the procurement process is just, I click a button and I get a server and I can do whatever I want with it. If I'm working with on-prem infrastructure, then I'm working with whatever management layer the on-prem provisioning system is providing to me. True. So a couple answers to that that we do here at, at Hewlett Packard Enterprise. One, we're really pioneering what we call composable infrastructure. And what this is, it's our, our hardware can take compute, storage, and networking and you know compose it and decompose it, aggregate it, disaggregate it, and present it you know suitable for running certain workloads. And then every piece of that is all software defined. And then we layer our management software, HPE OneView, on top of that. And then we have APIs that we can do complete automation. When you get this kind of a setup, you can have these pools of resources. And if a new need comes along, it's very, very easy for the IT department to quickly gen up a configuration for somebody to use and then, you know, make that available to them in, in you know, sort of a matter of hours as opposed to you know, in the old days when people had to like run cables, you were talking two months before you could actually get your access to these systems. And then it's easy to reclaim those resources and repurpose it if you need to change. So that I think is making actual physical infrastructure a lot more fluid and a lot and giving it a lot more agility and making it similar to consumed with the public cloud. You can even go as far as to layer because you've got the automation, you can even layer orchestration tools and have service catalogs and stuff like that. You can really go quite far with that model. What is the typical software stack that's running in an on-prem data center and how is it being operated? I work a lot with the physical infrastructure. So you've, you've got the physical layer and sometimes people are running workloads directly on that like large databases. There's obviously a large, large base of virtualization that's still going on, right? Those, those applications have gone anywhere. And then where we try to add value there is in the lifecycle operations of those systems. You know, it's one thing to just use like some of the tools like, you know, VMware vCenter, but then at the end of the day, those ESX hosts are, you know, are running on physical hardware. So we've actually provided a lot of integration between the two to make that whole experience uh, really, really simple. We're seeing um, in the trend is to move towards cloud native and containers. And so in that area, what we do is we work with all the major, we work with all the major known, you know, usual suspects on the container platforms. And then we can either run them in a virtualized environment or we can actually do containers on bare metal. And we make the orchestration of that in the you know, day zero experience really good. And also being able to expand and contract resources. So I think you're seeing you're seeing all of it. You're seeing some bare metal workloads, you're seeing a lot of virtualization, and you're definitely seeing a strong interest in modernization moving in the in direction of containers. So the quote-unquote cloud-native experience is desirable even when you are not on a cloud, when you're on on-prem infrastructure or you're on some kind of hybrid situation. So, But the, these people who do have their own data center, whether they're going to operate their infrastructure entirely from that data center or they're doing a hybrid cloud kind of thing, they have some challenges that people who are, you know, people listening to this that are only familiar with the cloud, who have, you know, all their experience is just working with a cloud provider, there are some difficulties that come from managing a data center. What are those challenges from managing on-prem infrastructure? Maybe there's some, you know, fairly legacy infrastructure software running on it. What are the challenges that come from that? Well, one of the big areas that I think is a challenge that we focus on is the whole area of lifecycle operations. 
there's quite a bit of drama involved if you want to do things like operating system upgrades, if you want to do things like firmware upgrades. And so these have often, you know, really consume an IT department. And that becomes a big part of what they have to do. And, and, and it's a lot of manual work and it could take weeks to months. So what we've done is because we've got the software defined approach that we have, and we've got you know the one view software, and then what we do is we put automation tools on that scripting or you know tools like Ansible or Chef. And then what we can do is we can do complete data center automation. That is the thing that really changes the way things are operating. When you can do this complete data center automation, you can run these scripts and then you can actually do these updates. And then increasingly what we're doing is we're making the hardware a cluster aware of what the what the next layer up on the stack is. So we have visibility into like a vCenter cluster. We have visibility into, you know, like a Docker container ecosystem or something like that. And so what we can do is we can actually do non-disruptive updates and upgrades and roll through, you know, you take a node, you take it into maintenance mode, you patch it, fix it, boot it back up, put, put, put it back in the pool. And so what this is doing is this is really freeing up the IT department, one of the biggest benefits for a company is that they can take this, you know, limited resource, their IT department, and they can really up their game. They spend less time on these repetitive tasks. There's lower risk because it's automated. And then what they can do is they can work more closely with the line of business people and add more value further up the stack that's really going to provide value to the, to the business. And we find that that just really resonates with the people that we work with. Right. So, so if I am working on a cloud, you're pointing out something else. If I work on a cloud, the cloud provider is going to take care of things like operating system updates, firmware configurations, and also the cloud provider is going to help me with obviously deploying my software, doing something where I roll out a new version of the software and I can do an easy switch over from the previous instance of my app to a new version of my app. And if I'm managing infrastructure on-prem, I have to handle all the updates and the configuration myself. I've got to figure out how to make some kind of workflow where I can do a rollover from one instance of a service to a newer instance of a service. I've got to have some kind of build system. How much overhead is involved in, in doing all that kind of stuff like the operating system updates the firmware configurations the uh, building software for rollouts and stuff if i if i do that myself on with my on-prem software like that sounds like i need an entire data center team or an entire operations team how much overhead is involved in that we've seen it take up you know it could be like a third a third to 50 percent of the capacity of you know the team to operate because they just get bogged down with these things but if you're doing manual processes and you don't have this kind of automation, it really, really becomes a big drain on on their effectiveness to move on to other other tasks and other duties. It, it, it does become a big deal. That's why, that's why I keep harping on this whole idea of complete automation. The other advantage of doing this automation is we're increasingly able to do it with the same kinds of tools that the app developers are using. We, use, we support a lot of the DevOps tools with one view with our ecosystem. So you've got choices like Chef, Puppet, Ansible, Salt, Terraform. And these are the same kinds of tools that they're already using for the app layer. And so now what we can do is we can actually apply those directly to the physical infrastructure. And there's a few definite benefits to that, being able to, to, to treat your infrastructure as code like that. you know, Because everything now, you've got sort of a seamless stack. So the app guys probably already had some of these scripts that they were using to kind of build and test and roll out their app. So now in conjunction with that, if you need a dev test system, then the infrastructure guys can roll out one that will work nicely, seamlessly with that workload. And it's all pretty much like the same tool suite. So that's, I think, one of the things that really gets you out of this bogged down, you know, 30 to 50% of your life is is just trying to maintain the OS and do firmware and drivers and having to do it all manually and then being able to really have a, a, a better a better you know work experience across the stack from the physical infrastructure through the next layer to the app. We try to talk about the different businesses that are using this whatever kind of software we happen to be talking about. So we try to understand the infrastructure 
as well as the the business side of things because oftentimes the business concerns are driving the IT decisions or the infrastructure decisions. What are the the companies, the types of companies that we're talking about here that are managing their own infrastructure? Is it like banks, insurance companies, telcos, agriculture companies? Like what is the is the average I would say the answer to all of that is yes, yes, yes and yes. Okay. But any sufficiently large company is is definitely going to have large large on-prem or private things that they're doing and they're going to have they're, they're going to have this need and they're going to increasingly want modernization they're going to increasingly want agility they're going to increasingly want to have uh, the better to better operate and manage their their resources and we're seeing this across all the industries so we you know we align with certain verticals um, and it's all the usual suspects it's it's finance it could be government, pharmaceutical, science, high tech. It really spans all industries, and it goes anywhere from SMB to, to small enterprise to you know very very large Fortune 500 enterprises. And so you mentioned a little bit earlier, you you know in the in the software that you're building, OneView, you are concerned with giving these on-prem infrastructure instances or clusters and with enterprise clusters. You want to give them virtualization and containerization and orchestration. What kinds of technologies do they have in place? Because I kind of started as a software engineer, I guess, kind of after the heyday of VMware. You know, so I sort of started in probably 2008, 2009. So I'm not super aware of what, you know, what the average virtualization stack of one of these on-prem situations is. Can you tell me more about kind of where the average enterprise is at in terms of virtualization and containerization and what are they trying to change today? Well, I think there's still an incredible presence for virtualization, you know, across a few of the different vendors, some open source and, and, the, and the usual the usual ones that, that uh, come up. And then there's also, I think, an increasing interest in, in moving to containers. So I think, you know, one thing is the, the virtualization is still really, really popular, really, really common. And then there, I think the interest is that we provide a better experience there in terms of being able to manage the virtualization layer and increase you know, the ability to maintain the life cycle of it on physical hardware. And then the businesses themselves are considering doing modernization. Sometimes it's lift and shift and trying to get some things over into containers. Uh, the draw out of containers, I think, is, is it's, you know, a little bit, perceived of as a little bit more agile, a little bit more lightweight. And then you do, it makes the apps also a little bit more fluid and easy to move around. So we're seeing that as well. And that's, I think, some of the things that are preventing that is a lot of it, I think, ends up being skill set. And so, you know, that's, I think, one of the areas, again, where being able to do all this automation and being able to really treat things up and down the stack as code is really is really kind of key here. So the modern practices around moving faster as an organization, it's often things like DevOps. You hear the word DevOps, CI/CD. You know, continuous delivery stuff, infrastructure as code. You want to be able to program your infrastructure, which is much easier with. Well, I think it's easier with containers than virtualization, and it's easier that with virtualization than bare metal servers. And I think the goals with a lot of these enterprises, whether you are a pharmaceutical company or a bank or a telco, you want to get these these things like DevOps and CS. Like people that are listening to this that work at a startup and all they've ever seen is the cloud and, you know, I I can configure my infrastructure super easily. That is, it's easy to take for granted. Yeah, I can say from experience. But if you if you go to to a legacy enterprise, you're going to realize, okay, and now I can understand like why these companies sometimes have trouble moving faster. It's because they're just kind of shackled to the past in some ways. So these things like DevOps and CI/CD and infrastructure as code, why is that sometimes hard to achieve with on-prem infrastructure? And how do you get, if you have on-prem infrastructure, how do you get to a place where you can use that infrastructure in a way that lets you move faster? Okay, the challenges are there's just a lot of moving parts, often with proprietary APIs if you go too far down in the stack. So there's BIOS settings, boot settings, firmware, drivers, 
connections to the fabric, whether it's like a fiber channel or Ethernet, you know, and then there could be, you know, storage provisioning. You take all of those things and you can end up with like something like a thousand lines of code. Okay, so one thing that we've been able to do with, with the HPE One View is it uses a templated model. So what you do is you get all of your best of breed people across your networking, storage and, and workload people, you know, like whether they're virtualization or containers or whatever, the next layer up, you get them all together and you define a template. And then that template can then be provisioned against like a server and some compute resources. And now that thing can also then be repeated, repeated and automated. So now what you do with that though, is then we take that template and you know you could do it through a GUI, but our GUI actually uses our REST API. And then the team that I work with, I work with a team that takes that REST API and then we put language bindings around it like Java, Python, Ruby, Golang. And then we also integrate with the common DevOps tools. So again, it's like, you know, Ansible, Chef, Puppet, SaltStack, Terraform, you know, the, those, those guys. So now what you're actually able to do is you're able to take those same DevOps CICD practices, things like declarative programming models, desired state, and you're able to actually use those, those, those same tools, those same practices that you would use to build the app. And it actually represents a physical topology of the machine. So some of the advantages that you get there with this is you can actually check this in to get, you know, you can check this in to get, you can actually do version control. You can, that gives you transparency, that gives you auditability, that gives you actually the ability to do rollback. Mm -hmm. So you can actually take, you know, run the script, it works, everybody's happy, fine, you move on, right? Oh, something isn't quite right. You just roll back to the previous version that was in source control, you apply the script, it puts things back the way it was. So those are the kinds of things that you can do. And then, you know, the other end of that is you, can either run the script as an active thing that'll manage things, but you could also run it as just kind of a reporting tool. So now you get into the whole area of being able to show compliance. What's like, what if somebody went and messed with a server while the server template is connected to the server profiles connected to the server template, it'll report if it's out of compliance and you could then, you know, force it back or you can integrate with the configuration management. So this whole idea of being able to actually check your physical infrastructure into source control is a really, really powerful concept. It takes a little while for a reason why it's, it's kind of novel and you have to kind of change your thinking, you have to kind of change your mindset. But once you get there, it's really, really powerful. Your goal with OneView, what you're trying to build, if I understand correctly, is it's kind of like a shim over pre-existing infrastructure such that that infrastructure can be made more programmable. Exactly. Okay. I mean, that sounds kind of hard. What what does that look like in practice? If you're trying to engineer, when I think of on-prem infrastructure, I could be wrong, but when I think on-prem infrastructure, I think a lot of heterogeneity. I think if you're, t if you're talking about all the different infrastructure configurations and networking setups and so on that you could potentially have across you know, a, a large percentage of the Fortune 500 where you have banks and telcos, et cetera, et cetera. These are like different archaeological digs of different infrastructure setups. How do you build, how do you engineer a consistent shim over all of those different infrastructure configurations? Well, I think one of the aspects of it is, you know, on the, on the one view side, it interfaces directly with the hardware. And when we're building it, it was built with the idea that there would be a common API as a central design goal. And so each of the teams that are working on something like a network adapter or a new server or new settings in a BIOS or in a boot mode or something, you know, they're all working from kind of a common resource model. So what they do is they do whatever's required to meet in the middle with the resource model. And then because we've got these different resource models, Okay, it could be two slightly different networks, but they'll still appear at the course level to be a network. And then it complies with that resource model. There may be different attributes that you can do on one over the other, because uh, it may be more modern or it may have another knob that you can turn. Um, but that would just kind of more show up as a different attribute of the resource model. And we can tag those and you kind of know what version it is and you can kind of tell what kind of, what kind of thing it is when you double click on it. Um, but by working to a, a consistent resource model across the different types of resources like servers, networks, storage, uh, we can come to uh, kind of a, a meet in the middle. And then, and then on top of that, we can, we can put the API, right? So there's one team that's going from the hardware up, and they're kind of going to the common resource model. 
and then you know then you go from there so that's i think how we managed to take a wide variety of different you know server generations different networking fabric types uh, different storage and we can at least put it into a common model for like you know 80% of the use cases where we really want to be able to get you know some kind of some kind of software defined management around it we don't need to map 100% of every little thing that you can do mm-hmm. like if we have uh, like our three part storage it has a, it has an api on the management side that might let you figure out like how you want to do you know data encryption so on the one view side we really just stay with like the idea that the person who's consuming this really just cares about the storage pool and there may be other people who are worried about like the policies that go around the storage and so that's okay that you have other tools that aren't completely mapped in uh, the idea is to have a very very useful resource model that is at the one hand kind of generic enough that people can understand it conceptually and all of our engineers can work on that common model but flexible enough that it can be differentiated that if you really double click on a resource you can see oh yeah okay here i've got these options so when you're looking at the the space of different ways that people can modernize and manage their infrastructure so i haven't covered this space too much but i've done a couple shows about openstack so that's like an open source way of managing some of your data center infrastructure. How does HPE OneView compare to OpenStack, or can you use OpenStack? Can you leverage the, some of the tools from that in, in architecting OneView? Oh, absolutely. We have, uh, we have Ironic drivers that actually work with OpenStack, and we work pretty closely with the OpenStack community. In fact, Hewlett-Packard Enterprise works quite a bit in open source. We've got our own GitHub organization. There's, I think, over 100 different projects in there. There are probably about 40 OneView projects in out on, our, on public GitHub that are part of that. As I mentioned, you know these tools, these language bindings, these OneView language bindings, all of this stuff is out there, and we work with it a lot in open source. Uh, so we can work both with like OpenStack, but we can also work with VMware. We can also work with uh, Hyper-V. Uh, we can work with KVM. We really pride ourselves on having a very, very broad ecosystem where we've got integrations with many, many, many of the common uh, tools and vendors, whether they're proprietary or open source. So I think that gives, the, our goal is to give the, the consumer, the, the IT department, whoever's trying to use this, we want them to be able to have a great experience using the tools that they prefer. So we try to integrate with, with all comers. If I want to get a cloud, a cloud-like experience on my on-prem infrastructure, and I want to use OneView, how do I deploy it? So what's the deployment process for getting this cloud-like experience on a data center? I like to divide it kind of in a day zero, day n kind of operation. So it's going to depend on what you mean by cloud. And, you know, you pretty much you have your different, your different choices. You're doing virtualization, containerization. You could be doing bare metal services. And you know, you sort of see you decide which sets of tools you're going to use, and then because the OneView stuff can do all the infrastructure automation, and we have this templated architecture, your day zero is pretty much you know setting up the resource pools and setting up the different resources, and then maybe setting up like the clusters. So we have a whole like if you chose if you chose VMware, we have a whole dedicated product called HPE OneView for VMware vCenter. And we've actually got plugins that go directly into vCenter, and they let you do things like grow a cluster. It'll add new bare metal servers into the cluster. You can do rolling firmware upgrades. You can you can see the visibility uh, from the from the workload from the guest OS to the virtual machine uh, to the ESX node through things like networking and storage all the way back to the physical networking and, and stuff like that. We make those experiences really really easy. So we handle the day zero getting the the last mile. We worry about getting the last mile of what is in the server, what is the physical infrastructure, and then we try and integrate with the next layer up. If you were doing OpenStack, then you would use our Ironic driver, and our Ironic driver would provision the, the bare metal, and then you know we work with all the other ones like Neutron and, and everything else, and we would just fit, seamlessly fit into an OpenStack environment there. You know, you can go with you know popular vendors like Red Hat. We we work with them. And there, we were, our tool of choice would probably be Ansible because they're very big fans of Ansible. And so we've already got you know, reference configurations and Ansible playbooks, and we publish those on GitHub. And, and so you can you make an experience where you could just kind of you pick 
the tool chain you want, the, the stack that you want. And we probably already have a body of work that will get you up and running and then also do common lifecycle operations once you're up and running. So whether I'm working with Red Hat or Red Hat Linux or, or some other operating system, there's a variety of, of different ways that that this deployment can happen. Once I have, if I deploy OneView and I now have this like cloud-like layer over all of my different types of infrastructure, over all of my operating system instances, what is what's the experience like at that point? Like, what am I actually doing with this? Like, do I have a, a dashboard available to me? What kinds of things can I do once I have this this cloud-like layer that's sitting across all my infrastructure? There's a few different views you can get. So one view itself has a dashboard and it allows you to see all the different resources and it does health monitoring and it does alerting. It, you know, can manage, you know, many hundreds of, of systems. And then if you have multiple data centers or you have multiple instances, we have a thing called a global dashboard. So you can across a large organization, you can actually roll up all of the reporting that comes in from one view and you can see like the health and resource utilization and alerting across, you know, your whole, your whole, all your different data centers and all your different localities and everything. So there's, there's the GUI, there's that, there's that aspect of it there. And then again, we tend to have a lot of plugins or things that can plug into other, other tools if necessary. So, and then we have our third party integrations that there are other people who provide different, different kinds of, of tools that I mean, we, we even get, go all the way down to the, the, the power and draw, uh, you know, electrical draw and temperature. And we report that up to data center facilities management software like Eaton and Redline. So, you know, you can even get a dashboard that'll just show, you know, how warm your data center is and which machines are heating up and how much electricity you're using. We've got, you know, there's a lot of different ways you could you could go uh, with the one view. So let's take some engineering examples. So that example of, of understanding the power consumption of the data center. So I should be able to do that you know, from the dashboard, what kinds of engineering does that require on your side? Like if you want to build a feature to understand the energy consumption within a data center, what does the construction of that feature look like? So that's one where we tend to partner with our ecosystem. So what we provide as part of OneView, and you can see it in our dashboard, is we provide the raw data. So we're doing all the sampling. So we're looking at power draw, we're looking at temperature, and we're also providing, you know, things like the uh, the CPU utilization, because they tend to go together. If you're really driving a CPU hard, it warms up. So those statistics are all available. And we have a message bus where those are continuously being reported, or you can go with a polling model. And then we work with, you know, some of the other, you know, the people, but this is their business. They understand data center facilities management. So they can map like the location of where the different resources are, you know, which systems are actually getting warm. They can also make uh, recommendations on moving workloads. And in some cases, what they can do is they can actually reach back in through one view and, you know, turn the CPU speed down a little bit. And then that'll reduce the power draw. So if they're at risk of, you know, getting overheated, the actual management software, so they do their part, they really understand facilities management and what it means from the physics point of view. And we have all the raw data that they need to make themselves successful, plus things like a feedback loop. You know, and then you can take that same example and you can take it in other different directions. We have people who do like automated remediation. We have folks that do intelligent workload placement. We've got a couple of partners, Densify and Turbonomic. What they do is they actually do predictive analytics. They look at the load uh, on our CPUs that are doing virtualization or containerization and they track it over time. And they suggest you should probably take this workload and migrate it from this set of servers over here to this set of servers over here. Or on Sunday, I know you're going to run this big batch job. So let's let's move these things away from there before Sunday. And they can actually increase the utiliz overall utilization and effectiveness of the resources. And in some cases, they've actually reached back into one view and, and move parts around so that, you know, you need their ads capacity or informs another layer like, you know, vCenter or something to my, to do uh, uh, VM migration. So when you start getting all of these things talking to each other, really, really cool things can happen. And sometimes they end up with like a two-way communication, which is really kind of interesting. You know, things like automated remediation if a server goes down, but you're supposed to have two servers, you get be talking to your load balancer or four, you know, then it can automatically spin up a new one 
And then because everything's automated, the workload just ends up back on there and, and joins back in with the uh, with the load balancer. Speaking of load balancing, if I am on a cloud provider, I can have basically unlimited access to infrastructure. So I can spin up as many servers as I want. I can just scale to the moon. If I'm on on-prem infrastructure, there is, I mean, well, obviously, even in the cloud, there's limitations. There are some fixed number of servers that are sitting in the cloud that I actually have access to, but it feels infinite because it's, you know, it's AWS or it's, you know, Google Cloud or whatever, and it's a lot of resources. But on-prem, there is some lower bound to how much resource I can consume. What's the process of making sure the developers, so once developers have access to the internal cloud, how do you make sure that no developer consumes too much or you don't have a developer, an internal developer who DDoSes, you know, your entire internal cloud? What's the process of regulating the instance consumption? OneView does have, you know, role-based access security and things can be tagged and things can be zoned and things can be provisioned. And then also with, you know, with this templated architecture, you really can just assign access to the physical resources and, and carve that up the way you'd like. Maybe it's at the department level. Maybe it's, you know, you assign it a different, different way. There's that course level of doing it. And then sometimes the person who's actually developing the app is really just on a virtualized or containerized layer anyway, and you can still turn those knobs as well. So you kind of have a few different ways of doing it. But at least as far as the, as far as the delegated model and the model within, you know, one view for the physical resources, you know, that's got, that's got complete resource pool isolation if you need it. In, in, and, you know, things like delegated security, role-based access and those kinds of things. So you can, you can manage it either, you know, down at the server layer or you can use the, the other common tools that you would use to reduce how much uh, you know, people are consuming at the next layer up in the stack, if you wish. In the building of OneView, do you have to solve distributed systems problems like you know having a master node coordinating the other nodes in the system? Do you have, have to solve these kinds of problems, or are these solved at a lower layer of the stack? Well, OneView, the architecture of OneView is that it is an agentless system. So OneView itself is either a virtual client. Agent, agentless? Yep, it's, it's agentless. Uh, OneView is agentless itself. So it's deployed either as a virtual machine and then it imports all the information from the physical infrastructure that it's managing. And then it just communicates directly with the physical infrastructure. So we have uh, all the HPE resources have thing called um, integrated lights out which is kind of a, a hardware management layer, which actually can do things like power on the machine, power off the machine, change the firmware, change the BIOS settings. And then OneView uh, communicates directly with that. So you don't ever have to install an agent. You don't ever have to like, you know, get a guest OS and put something in the guest OS. You know, all of that is, you, you don't ever have to do that. And so then, they, then basically what you do is you just deploy the, the OneView VM, and then that manages all those physical resources. And then in the case of our Synergy system, which is uh, you know, one of our more recent hardware offerings, there's actually a dedicated piece of hardware that's running one view inside of it called the Composer. And so then you could just talk directly to that. So in some cases, we actually have a dedicated embedded appliance, and in some cases, it's, it's a VM. But we don't ever have to have you know, like minions or little agents that need to be installed anywhere. So if you're building an API that allows people to have a shim over all of their existing infrastructure and be accessed through AP, through an API, you you have to define what are the different API calls that you need for a cloud, basically, for an internal cloud. Can you tell me a little bit about the API service? What what did you want to define at the at that top level of the shim that's fitting over the entire date like data center on-prem cloud data center, what's the API surface area look like? Okay, to begin, it's all based on a REST API. So it's, you know, representational state transfer. So that's, and then everything is, is modeled as resources. The rough taxonomy of the resources is we can actually model the data center. And then we can even give you almost like little schematic drawings of where the different servers would be in the data center if you choose to have that. Uh, then we have the next one would be things like enclosure groups. Those actually map to the physical enclosure that you're going to be sliding hardware into. And then inside of that, 
you have enclosures and you have, I mean, in the enclosures, you actually, we, we number the bays, you know, we tell you about the bay. And then we tell you about, is this a, a short one or a tall one? And then is it, is it, is it CPU? Is it storage? What is it? You know, we actually are modeling the physical hardware. And if you go into the OneView GUI, we'll even draw you like a picture and show you like, you know, if you click on one of those things, you can actually see what's there. I will even tell you like what kind of physical connectivity is in there. Like, does it have an Ethernet card in it, you know, and stuff like that. So we start modeling all that, but they're all modeled in software. They're all modeled as part of this, you know, REST API. And then, you know, things, you know, compose or are contained similar to the way you would build software. You know, I have an enclosure. It has these bays in it. This bay has a server. It's this type of, it's this hardware type. You know, it also has these two network cards, right? So that's, so we model that. And then when you start poking that software, it reaches in through the actual software-defined goodness and actually manipulates the physical hardware underneath. So that's kind of, you know, there's a very pretty cool direct mapping between the resources you see in the API and something you could actually go physically touch. There's so many different configurations. We, we talked about this a little bit earlier. There's so many different configurations of infrastructure this could potentially run on, but it's a consistent API on top of all those different infrastructure types. What's the testing process for all that heterogeneity? Can you just test that API, that RESTful API that you've built, or or do you have to do lower level testing for all? I guess for all of the connectors between that API. Just tell me about the process of testing it and making sure you have consistent, you know, a result from that consistent API. It is a challenge. So we we sort of have two approaches to this. One. We do have quite a bit of, you know, test rigs and physical testing on physical infrastructure, you know, especially if we're coming out with new hardware, you know, that, that always you know, works very, very closely with the, with the hardware. It is a little daunting because there are a lot of pieces and a lot of moving parts and a lot of things that you kind of have to test. Fortunately for us, we've also built something we call our data center simulator. So we actually can model the behavior of, of a, like a server or a network connection. And so as you're just exercising the code and exercising the API, you can actually, for a broad set of the use cases, you can actually just use this data center simulator. And then we put those into, you know, CICD pipelines and we do like automated testing and, and things like that. So that's one of the ways that we can survive this, even though there's just a, you know, a, an incredible array of, of different kinds of possible configurations. And with the data center simulator, it's backed with an XML schema. And so we can actually change what the simulator perceives of as the physical data center that you're running on. We can make it like look like one of our C7000 blade systems, or we can make it look like one of our newer Synergy systems. So we can actually pretend that it's running on physical hardware, and then that'll get us through quite a number of the tests. But then, you know, because it is a simulator, we, of course, always want to test it at some point in the cycle on, on, on real hardware as well. Okay, so we've talked a significant deal about the layer below one view, the layer below this consistent API. So once you have this set up, you can do things like, you know, install Jenkins or install additional monitoring software. So if I want, let's say I wanted to install Jenkins, a Jenkins cluster, and I wanted to have continuous delivery within my organization, what would the process of setting that up once I have this consistent API for my infrastructure, what would that look like? Typically, Jenkins is just going to run as a workload a layer above us, right? What our own HPE IT department does to service our software engineers with our CI/CD pipeline is we've chosen to use, in our particular case, we've chosen to use Terraform and Ansible to provision physical infrastructure like a Synergy system. And then the Ansible playbook will also install, in our case, it's, it's uh, Docker Enterprise Edition. And then what we'll do is then those same, you know, another set of scripts deploys Jenkins on there. And then we run Jenkins as, as, a, as a containerized environment. So you've got your master Jenkins node. And every time we poke something in our internal corporate GitHub, it runs a webhook. The webhook, you know, goes out to Jenkins, says, I need to run these tests. A container spins up. The Jenkins runs in that container. And then it goes away when the tests are done. The container goes away. And so that's kind of our, that's kind of our stack. And so if we need more capacity, then our IT department would just run some of those Ansible scripts again 
and it just change a variable in our software-defined infrastructure, in our infrastructure as code, they'd say, well, instead of four, I need six, or instead of 100, I need you know 150. And then it would just consume some more resources and add them into the pool for that, the physical layer. So you know that's kind of how we built our CI/CD pipeline. But you know, there's a there's a whole bunch of different ways you could slice it. If I'm on a cloud provider, one thing that's useful for me is I can look through all these different services. I can get ideas. I can see solutions for queuing and databases, and basically all of my problems can be solved by some. API that I can buy from a cloud provider, and if I if I don't have any problems, if I'm just looking for new ideas, maybe I can take some machine learning tool off the off the shelf of the cloud, and I can start messing around with it. I can start building something innovative. What's the process of kind of presenting a category or a, or a catalog of different things that if I'm the developer? I can look through this catalog and see, okay, this is going to solve my problem, or this is going to be an opportunity for my business. So we have a composable ecosystem program, and that is where all the partners and our open source projects all meet around OneView and the OneView API. And those those tend to be in you know areas like automation, areas like cloud automation or cloud operation, IT operations. We discuss the facilities management there. And then there's, a, there's, as I mentioned, there's about 40 open source projects out there as well. So people can either directly get one of our SDKs, directly work directly against the API. There's a bunch of open source projects that are already out there. That, and then people can just like, file a GitHub issue, or if they've got an idea, they want to enhance it, they can fork the code. They can even do a pull request. And then we've got our composable ecosystem. We've got information there across the different operating system vendors, the different container people, automation tools, you know, virtualization, IT operations. So you can you can go to our, our composable ecosystem and then you know if you want to join, we have a partner program. And so they can, you know, we get them access to resources and the APIs and and then you know that's one route. You can probably go buy something quote unquote off the rack or go get an open source tool and build some cool stuff. And then you know HPE also has you know a very large services organization. So anybody who would really like some assistance on that? We have a complete set of, of uh, consulting resources, starting from the advisory end of it, where you know we'll come in, work with your line of business, do a POC, give you an initial good success, all the way through you know full data data center management, where we'll run there, run kind of run your data center for you, and you know build out all these automation tools to your workflow. So there's a there's a lot of ways to get in the game with this technology. We've been talking about it in the context of banks or insurance companies, these large technology companies that have their own data center. There's also co-locations, so these places where people are renting servers. Have people used OneView as a an API or a management system for for like co-locations or these these large server farms that are rented to multiple people? Yeah, we definitely have service providers who, you know, they're doing, you know, managed, they're doing managed services. They're doing, you know, managed data centers for people and, you know, at whatever scale makes sense. And they, they definitely, you know, they definitely use OneView in many cases. Yeah, that's absolutely a category. Just particularly, I think, in um, different geographies outside the U.S., you know, that's actually really fairly common model. You know, we have a HPE has a very big, you know, channel, channel business as well. So some of the stuff may end up going through channels. Some of the stuff may be managed data centers, and we work with a few, you know, large, large ones that are uh, that are across a bunch of different geographies. What else is changing in the market for on-prem infrastructure software? Like, what are the changing demands? So, so like, I talk to mostly people in who are working in, you know, cloud providers, or they they use a cloud provider. Some things that are changing recently are there's just some higher level managed services people want. Some people like functions as a service? What are the things that are changing in on-prem? So at, at my end of it, where I'm looking at the management stuff, I think what people are looking for is more automation and remediation is kind of one trend. So we've got actually pieces of software in one view that can like phone home. And then we can see, you know, that there's something going on. Um, I think it can even order parts and have them sent. I think that if you start continuing down that line, we're looking at taking some of our integrations with things like InfoSight and trying to apply some predictive things and 
and sort of some of the kinds of AI techniques or collecting some of the statistics for you and making suggestions. You know, this looked like you could be running out of resources here or this could be a problem, you know, down the road or, or here's an alert. We found that these other people with configurations similar to yours, you know, benefited from this, this patch or something like that. So I think what you're trying, people are, are really looking at one aspect of it. They're looking for quote unquote more intelligence in their, in their software. So we're tracking all of that. We're trying to build in those kinds of features. We're trying to build in, you know, predictive things. We're trying to build in a little bit of like an almost like an AI aspect to it. Uh, the other thing is, I think, on-prem software is also itself kind of going to a hybrid model, right? Where there's there's a big piece of it that's on-premise, but people are still kind of interested in things like the monitoring maybe being in the cloud, maybe some higher-level reporting being up in the cloud, maybe things like logging being up in the cloud. Um, and that really, I think, speaks to uh, just wanting to be able to do centralized management you know, across a big, a big bunch of data centers or something like that. So there's still a very big piece of the software that would stay on-prem, but there'd be some, like you say, higher level management things that are desired that can be provided, quote unquote, as a service. And so we're looking at the hybrid model of, of enterprise software in this management space as well. We recently did an integration between OneView and the Microsoft um, Log Analytics. So we can actually send the logs up into the cloud, and that's the preferred direction that the Microsoft guys want their customers to go to. So we're, you know, we're following that. We're working with them on that, on that trend. So those are at least a couple of the things I see, you know, changing with the, with at least, you know, on-premise, you know, management software. That's a great example of of integration, like the fact that HP HPE can work in a partnership kind of role with a cloud provider. I mean, I guess it sounds. It sounds every day. It sounds completely normal today, but uh, it's just funny because you know your your built HPE OneView is kind of built in a way that is it's it's a result of a lot of proprietary things that didn't work well together originally. Like that's my. I mean, I come from kind of a, a later later along the timeline of infrastructure software. But my view, looking back, is that companies used to not play so nice together. They used to not integrate so easily. But today, if you, if you don't play well with the rest of the ecosystem, you kind of don't have a business. Exactly. I see two forces driving that. One is a lot of the open source has changed the thinking a lot of, of a lot of these companies because there are certain aspects where multiple competing companies are working on common open source projects and benefiting from the results of that. So I think that was a benefit. And then I also just think that at the end of the day, there's a, there's a customer driven and market driven effect too, which is, you know, I guess the phrase people use is coopetition. There are areas where we may compete, where I'm going to have a product, you're going to have a product, we're going to compete on that offering. But at the end of the day, any sufficiently large company is going to be wanting to do business with both of us. So if we can work together in certain areas, we can provide a better experience for the end customer, which is, which is I, think, I think that's really what you're seeing here. What you're really seeing is all of us kind of want the customer's business, and it is in everybody's best interest if we all work together to provide the best possible experience for that customer. And, you know, it's always a changing, it's like shuffling a deck of cards. You work with another two, three partners in a different customer, the mix could end up being different. But I think that's just modern business today. You know, you have to sometimes you compete, but you always have to know how to integrate and what pieces make sense together. Bob Frazier, thanks for coming on Software Engineering Daily. It's been really fun talking to you. Yeah, really, really enjoyed this, Jeff. Thank you very, very much. Wow.